Friday night racing on Off the Ball. Brought to you by Go Racing. Plan your day at the races at goracing.ie. Very welcome along to Friday Night Racing. It's uh, one of the most excited Friday Night Racings of the year because obviously we are into the uh, Christmas season and there is great racing all across here and across the UK to look forward to. And we'll get into the meat of that in a little while, but I'm delighted to say Ted Walsh is our special guest this week. Ted, how are you? Happy Christmas to you. Good, thanks very much. Same to everybody here. I was kind of thinking about um, Christmas in uh, sport. The the footballers always, they, you know, they have a small Christmas dinner and then they're called into training and then the next day they have a match in the Premier League. What's Christmas like for trainers and people who work in the industry? Because it's a, a normal working day most of the days. Yeah, it? it's a busy day. It's like any, it's like a, it's like a Sunday, really. You know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. We race every weekend, so Christmas is no different. We, it's the same thing. It's a busy time. It's actually one of the busiest times for everybody because everybody's a family person, so they have the commitments of their own household, whether it's your wife or your girlfriend or your children or your father or mother, whatever they are, all those commitments to go, and still they have to do a day's work. And... It's Christmas Day, the horses that are going to run on St. Stephen's Day, whether you're in Limerick or Down Royal or Leperstown, they all have to be exercised and they have to be fed and all that has to be done on Christmas Day, the same as anything else. Now, you might give them a short enough. Some of the other jobs are put on the side on Christmas Day to give people a chance to get home to have lunch and yeah. things like that. But come four o'clock in the afternoon, they all have to be fed and watered and make sure they're all right. And yeah. A couple of hours then again. So, like, no matter where, what yard you're in, whether it's a small yard like mine or a big yard like... Edna O'Brien's or Willie Mullins's. There's a lot of lads in, a lot of lads working. Did your kids appreciate this when Santa Claus was coming early and you were like, okay, well, let's quick open the presents and off we go? Yeah, my, the kids didn't mind us so much. I think Helen was a bit upset once or twice because I should have been around. Not upset, but just uh, maybe disappointed I wasn't there for maybe the morning time. I remember years ago having Harveystown ready to run in the Paddy Power and he was working on Christmas, on Christmas morning on the Curra with the late Mick O'Toole. And I went down with him, you know, and I was gone for three or four hours when I should have been probably three or four small kids running around. I was being selfish, but I felt it had to be done and I wanted to be there to see it. Yeah. And that was it. That was, now that's only one instant, but it's many, many times, I'm sure, in many, many households when kids are small. And, and I tell you the truth, you miss it too as a father. I mean, no matter what you do, when you're young, you say in your 20s or 30s, you think what you're doing is the most important thing. But actually the most important thing is watching them grow up and enjoying every moment with them not the bread and butter stuff that you think is important at the time because Leperson will be on again. And Pat Spullen said the exact same thing. Yeah. They'll go, they'll yeah. go, they'll go and gone and you'll say, God, I, I miss that excitement. The excitement when they all were moving up to the room to, to see what Santa Claus brought them. The excitement in their face. Like if you miss that, you can't recapture that again. Yeah, I, um, I was having a few drinks recently with um, somebody who works in uh, our industry and uh, he's a, a veteran of it for like 35 years and he said, I'm never going to, I never give advice because people who give advice to you generally, the one thing I will say is that I, I spent too much time working and not enough time with my kids when they were young. Yeah. And um, maybe it's just something that we're all realising now at this point. Like in yeah, well, you're only young for this yet now, but you definitely realise when you get to my stage. Now, I mean, you want to enjoy that time in their life because it's in no length of time they grow up and they become adults and you miss those special moments. It's like going up to the cot when the little one is, little baby is maybe a year old and he's calling for you. It's lovely to walk in and see the expression on his face as he stand up on the cot, whether it's little girl or little boy. Yeah. And you're coming to sort of take him out of their loneliness and bring him down and put him in the bed alongside you. You're That's it. something you cannot, I don't give a damn who you are, you cannot put a price on that. Are you getting it back now as a grand, grandparent? I am. I am. I'm enjoying it. No, I did it as, 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 a, as, a, and as a father as well too, but not enough of it. Uh, but I, oh, I am. I love, I love going up, getting them when they hear them calling up there and calling them in. You know, it's great. Yeah. Is racing a hard industry then for, for families? Because like it, who was, who was in a couple of weeks ago was saying that um, the one thing that they were told was don't marry into racing and four of the sisters ended up marrying into racing. That was, uh, yeah, that, that was... Kevin O'Ryan. It was, yeah, because the Crowleys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're all married to fellas involved in the game. But I mean, that's, but the only thing about it is you might say that, but people have got to understand it as well, too. I mean, it's like people marrying into farmers or people marrying into people that have to open a pub on St. Stephen's Day or people who are in the restaurant business. That's part of it. And you have to understand that as well, too. And that's part of the package. Yeah. You know, there's no point saying like it's going to be 
Rosie, like, like uh, when someone says, it'll be fine when we get married. Yeah. That's rubbish. Yeah. If it ain't fine now, it certainly ain't, yeah. gonna be, ain't going to be fine when we get married. Like, but you, you, know see, I mean? you see racing, the, how healthy it is to do. Like, you look at Kevin Prendergast, he's 86. Yeah. Yeah. He's lived a healthy life because he's been out in the air with the horses every day, and yeah. it's a great life. It's really. a great life. It's you know. absolutely one of the great... I wouldn't swap an hour of my life for anything. It's great. You can up there, work. If you like what you're doing, it's a wonderful life. Tell us this, because I'll ask you about handing it on and that tradition to your kids in a minute, but where did yours come from? Where did your love of racing? When well, I was brought up in a house. My father and my uncle Ted and my mother, uh, they were always involved in. My father came from a generation, his father before him, uh, were selling troopers to the British Army in right. the First World War. They were a dealing family. They had a pub in Kildare, which is between Mitchellstown and Mallow, top of the hill there, North Cork. Was that controversial, Ted, actually, to be, do you know? To not not, be, not, not in those days. Not in those days. Yeah. Not in those days. Sell, that's the, the, the British Army come over to buy horses for the First World War. Mm. There was seven million horses killed in the First World War. Wow. So there was some demand for horses. They'd come back uh, and they'd buy them at the fairs and that kind of thing, and people would come over and buy them. It wasn't, no, it wasn't controversial. It was part of the whole lot of the, of the system. Mm. But they were, his, that was his business, it was buying them sort of horses. And they grew up in a household. They had a pub called the Corner House in Kildare. And they had a farm down the road a couple of miles and they reared up in that sort of a household, buying and selling horses, hunting horses, riding horses and then pint to pint horses as they got on and the idea was to sell them on. No different than what the lads in Wexford are doing down the dials or any of them, uh, pint to pint horses, sell them on. And that's the household I grew up in. And uh, my, uh, my dad and my uncle Ted chipped in together and they moved to Fermoy in 1946, bought a pub there right. with a yard at the back of it. And continued on to do, and my mother involved as well uh, with that. She worked in the bar, and the two lads, one of them worked in the bar, and the other fellow was out on the road of horses, and we were rare there. Went to America in 54, and an uncle who was very successful in America as a trainer, he was champion trainer there many times, and leading show jumping rider, he came back for a, a time in, in, in 51 or 2 and said to them, you'd be better off in America, it's better living in America. Yeah. So the up sticks in 54, all five of them, two of us, John and myself, and mum and dad and my uncle Ted and went to America. But they were, my uncle Ted was 44, my father was 37, too old really, into New York where, the, where it was going on, racing was in Belmont Park. And then when racing was finished there in October, they'd moved down to the warmer climate. Miami, you Well, they moved down to North Carolina, okay, yeah. Southern Pines, where he had a training centre down there. And they spent the winter there. And then in uh, March, uh, end of March, they'd come back up to New York again. And he thought, at that stage, we were ready to go to school and that. And he said, where are we going to get a base? And so the team decided they'd go back to Ireland again. Right. So my dad, my mum and the two of us came back uh, in, in that time. in to 56, 56, no. We came back, came back to Fermoy. When we came back to Fermoy, they had lived in America for two years. And Fermoy looked like it stayed stationary. Yeah. Because so, it was so impoverished at the time, yeah, the country. So, like, yeah, you know. so they, she moved to Dublin, where her sisters were, and bought a house in Terranure. And we lived in Terranure then for four or five years. And my father and my uncle Ted came back at the end of that uh, summer and they bought to, uh, rented the yard in Chapel Lizard. You know where Chapel Lizard is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they had access to the Phoenix Park. They didn't have land of their own. So we, the horses, then we moved out where I am in Kill in 1960 and he bought a place out there. Right. So I've been there ever since. I kind of consider myself a Kildare man, even though I was born in Fermoy and lived in Dublin four or five years. Went to school in Sing Street and in the presentation in in Terranure, and then moved out, went to National I School. I didn't know any of this. I always thought Ted was no. Kildare. No, so, no, I went to National School in, in Kill, and uh, um, Liam O'Flynn's father, uh, Liam O'Flynn as well, he was our head teacher. Right. And uh, it was a good area for horses Kildare as well too, and the Curra wasn't far away, and neither was the Phoenix Park. And We used to have a licence to train in the Phoenix Park. That time you got to, you had to pay for the Board of Works a licence, and we'd leave Chapel Lizard, go into Chapel Lizard Gate there, and gallop in the park, and then of course the Pope arrived and shagged all that up by putting a big monument inside the middle of it, and we couldn't use that anymore. Every time I pass <laughs> the Phoenix Park now, I'm just thinking, because I live so near, yeah. Jesus was a race course yeah. here, how great yeah, it would be. Well, like, it was you know. So that was it, and then we moved out to Kill 1960, and I've been there ever since, so I consider myself a Kildare man. Yeah, yeah. so you had an uncle who was a trainer, was that your yeah. dad's brother? Yeah, my dad's brother, Michael, very successful, he was champion jumps trainer there, uh, seven or eight times. So they must have been racing in their family. Well, when it was they same. It was my, as I said to you, they all reared up with, with horseback round. Right. Uh, he went to America, fell out with his father sometime in the 20s. Himself and a brother, Jim, went over to America. They knew nothing on any horses. Jim started up a riding school in Great Neck, which is in Long Island. And, uh, and Mickey started riding show jumpers. He was a young man then in his 20s. 
and he was champion, professional show jumping rider. Wow. Road winners in Madison Square Garden and all over. There's even a book on him, uh, a, a horse called Little Squire that he bought out here, went to America and jumped all around him. A woman, multi-millionaire down in North Carolina called Mrs. Kennedy owned him. Right. She bought him from here. Uh, Dan Curry, who was friendly with him, got him to go to America this horse. He met him. Fortunes at the time, she bought him and he rode him and he won a lot of a show jumping all over. He's kind of a famous horse, Little Squire. He rode him. And then when he stopped race uh, show jumping, he went training horses. Right. And he was a champion jumps trainer there seven or eight times. And then a son of, of Jim's, who had a riding school in, in uh, Great Neck in New York, his son, Tommy, went riding for Mickey when and he became champion jump jockey in America seven or eight times. Okay, right. And won five American Grand Nationals. So there's, so there's something it's, in the genes. It's, it's there. It's, it's just a horsey background. It's people yeah. who rode horses and just in it. That's what it is. It's just there. And that's what it was. A lot of people who went to America from here, anybody who was connected with horses that decided to go to America would get a whole, ask my father for Mickey's address because right. a base and he got a job. It, and just in... People don't realise how difficult it was that time. It was expensive. You go by the boat. We went by boat to America and we came home by boat. Yeah. Eight days on the Mauritania and nine days coming home, like in the 50s. But when they started flying horses out, if you could get a trip out with a horse, you get a free trip to America. Okay, right. So my father made connections in America and he was selling horses in the late 50s, 60s to America. And of course, the lads would be, there'd be a ticket going out. So fellas that maybe wanted to go to America and they'd get a few quid to go as well. Could bring the horse. Out, yeah. And they land in America, and then of course they wouldn't come back. Do you remember yeah. much of America as a, as a child? As then? a child, not that much. But I yeah. was there in the in the sixties. Uh, we went out a bunch of us, um, a pal of mine from Kildare, Eddie O'Connor, and a cousin of mine, Tom, and my father. We uh, a few Americans came back and they bought sixteen or seventeen horses off, mostly off the McGrath family, and different horses. And we went out with them on a Saint Stephen's Day right. to America. I remember nineteen sixty eight? It was. And we arrived there, and it was, I think it was cold here. It was absolutely <laughs> bitter. We arrived over and they loaded all these horses up into the plane. Michael O'Brien's uh, brother, Michael that was in the wheelchair, yeah. he went out as well that time. And we arrived. He was uh, a right good jockey out there, wasn't he? He was, he was yeah. champion jockey there one year. And we went out and we arrived. And I remember getting into the back of a wagon. We were going to Southern Pines, which was 600 miles away in a lorry. And we were in it for about maybe three hours and, or two and a half hours, and he stopped. And I said to the van driver, I said, are we there yet? Sonny says, we ain't even out of the state of New York. <laughs> two and a half hours in Ireland, like you'd be in Killarney or something. Yes, <laughs> we were frozen. I'll never forget it. And, that was in, and I've been back dozens of times since, you know, yeah. the Breeders' Cups and everything. But that's a great country now. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. like to live there, but it's a great country to go I'm visit. the same. I'm the same, yeah. Huh? I'm you? the same. I yeah. I wouldn't, I'm not sure I could live there, no. but I love going there. I love going know? there. It's yeah. a great buzz off. And, it, yeah. and there's so many countries in one country. Yeah. You know, you could be... There's one the type of city. person in New York and there's yeah. a totally different person in California. And Ca Carolina as well. Yeah. Just a reminder, Friday Night Racing is brought to you by GoRacing.ie. You should check out that website if you are planning to head to wherever there is racing over the next while. Uh, that will give you all the fixture lists and all the runners and riders. Ted, people from my generation know you mostly as a trainer and on the telly, but actually... Mostly as a telly, I said. My, so my career as a trainer is quite enough. But as a jockey, like yeah. you were a brilliant jockey, you held a the record. I was an records. amateur now. Yeah. I was an amateur. Yeah, I wasn't too bad at that. The opposition wasn't as hot as it is as a professional. And like any fellow, if you get on the right horses, it gathers momentum. I started riding. Rode for two and a half years and never rode a winner. Right. Got a license in 66, rode at Leperstown, and it was two and a half years before I rode a winner, so the, it didn't happen overnight. The point-to-pointers that were um, that your parents had, was that your first kind of like, oh, I'll just hop up in one of those and school it and go, oh, I really mm, like this? Not really. You're, re you're reared up in the yard. You're eight or nine, you're out around the yard, you're riding a few ponies. And you want to be a jockey. And then you get 10 or 11, you get into riding older. As you get... As you get better, you ride the older horses and then you get the hang of it. And then you're either good at it or you're like it or you're not. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing is with it is not to lose your bottle. You know what I mean? If you get run away with it, you get a fall, that you're not, not nervous about it, that you want to get back up again. Yeah. Like the lads playing rugby or that, they don't want to crawl out of the scrum and want to go home to mammy. Yeah. You don't want to get back in again. If you lose your bottle, you're gone. If you lose your bottle, you're gone. Now, I didn't lose mine. I lost my ability, but I didn't lose my bottle. Uh, but it was great, and I rode as an amateur. I was 10.7, 10.9, that kind of weight. And that time, the bottom weight was 9.7, and I figured if to make a living, you'd want to be able to do the less than 10 stone. But that was wrong. I, I, I could have made a living, maybe not a great one, but I could have made a living as a professional. And I, I regret not being a professional. Really? How, how good would you have been then relative to the other professions of that time? If I you, don't know. If you're Bob, riding day in day out as well. Like. Bobby Conan was champion jockey 
Tommy Carberry, Carberry was champion jockey. Frank Berry, I might, I might have been as good as them now. I definitely wouldn't have been as stylish as Frank. You'd have had a career though. But I think I would have had a career. It would all depend on the move you made. I mean, if I'd have ridden for, if I'd have got into a, a top stable, like we say Peter McCreary at the time, uh, he rode, had loads of winners. It definitely was as good as some of the fellas that rode anyway. Mm. Definitely as good as some of them. Some of them were terrible. Would you have had to go to England? No, I wouldn't. I, I might have had to go to England, but I don't think I would. I think I would have survived at home with that kind of thing. But you see, I was champion amateur and I was safe. Yeah. I was, I was as good as any of the lads riding and I was safe. And I rode a lot of winners. I could ride 35 or 40 winners a year, which was, other than being champion jockey, one year I rode more winners than actually the champion uh, jumps jockey rode. That's I mean, mad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I was safe and I didn't say, like, there was no point in sort of, like, I don't know, I was just being safe, not being maybe ballsy enough to turn professional. Fellas saying, ah, you're, you're success at this now, there's no point leaving it, like, you know. How, how low could you have gone weight-wise? Sure, I don't know, I was always struggling now at less than 10.7. Mm. I'd done 10.4 and 10.2. I remember one time I got a ride at 10 stone. I got a ride at 10 stone and claim five, which is 9.9, now, which is way below me weight, so I did the... Uh, John Crowley, Lord of mercy on me, is dead now. John Crowley says to me, you do that, he says, take two of them. I said, what are they? Oh, he says, no bother, he says, take two of them. So anyway, I was about, God, we said, waist down to about nine stone 12, which is as light as I could get. Now, you want to be nine 12 to do sort of 10 stone, yeah, two or three. You have to give yourself five pounds. Yeah. So I still was a bit away. So I took one of these, took the, I don't think I took one of them, I think. They were Lasix, pee tablets. Jesus, I couldn't, couldn't wait to get to the toilet everywhere. I was going down to, to go down to Mallow, I'd get lads to stop in the car going down. And by the time I got down, my two cheekbones were sunk back in my mouth. How would I have been dehydrated? And when the lads in the car were talking, the lads that went with me, Liam and, and, and Eddie and a few of them, Bertie, when they were talking, I thought they were a mile away. It was a yeah. hollow kind of a sound. Oh, I never took him again. Nearly, yeah. died, nearly died. But I mean, I, I don't do weight. Yeah. I was only a passenger. But, but is, is a jockey not better off doing over than wasting himself? Ah, yeah, but you won't be allowed to over. Mm. You can see if you do a pound or two over rather than wasting But now, nowadays you can only do two pounds, mm. which is absolutely ridiculous. Mm. I mean, they have the Turf Club bought out the thing there a couple of years ago that you can't ride unless if you're more than two pounds overweight, unless you have special permission. And you have to declare that two pounds the day before that you might be two pounds over. And I was totally against it. I think it's a ridiculous rule because uh, they were saying, oh, the punters need to know. But if the punters know the day before that you're going to carry five over, mm. that'll do. They know if they have Pat Smullen or Ruby Walsh or Barry Garrity, he's supposed to be doing 9-12, but he's actually going to do 10-3. So once you know it the day before, Factor it in. you should be able to dig it. If Dermot Well wants Pat Smullen, we say Pat Smullen's lightest weight is 8-7. And, but Dermot wants him to ride a horse at 8-12. Or eight seven, and the horse only has eight two. Yeah, he might say, "I'd rather have Pat on him at eight seven than some fellow on him at eight two. Yeah. He should just say, "Pat Smullen rides him, and he carries eight seven. Mm. That's simple as that. Yeah, and everybody, everybody knows. Once everybody and knows, everybody knows. Yeah. You're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. Yeah. Everyone knows. We He's five over. Yeah, the you know? weight is the killer for them. Like, and yeah. uh, like I, I, I always worry about jockeys just the waste and they do long term. What, what they're doing to their body, like just to make a ride. Yeah, well, oh. see, some of them are naturally, like Wayne Lorden or Rory Cleary or Niall McCullough are naturally lightweights. And years ago, but generally, fellas, in, in, I was watching young lads coming out in Dundalk the other day, and they're all tall, young mm. fellas. Like, yeah. you know, mm. I mean, Dunnock has done a great job, and so did Joseph, to keep their weights. Now, I mean, they were riding good horses, but they were had a great grasp of it now to do that, mm. yeah. you know. And it's hard on a fella's body. You can do it when you're young, probably. Yeah, you know I mean? we, we had Dunnock in, and he was talking about um, the 24 hours previous to that, he'd had a slug of Red Bull and a couple of jelly snakes. Yeah. That was that in was a day it. and a half. Yeah, yeah. 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 well, that's a fella's... I mean, that's, that was, that'd be a common thing like for fellas. Like, and that doesn't... I mean, fellas sound like, oh, you had nothing to eat yesterday. There's thousands of people in the country, not in daily, in the world, not in date for about three weeks, and they're still alive. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Because you had nothing to eat yesterday doesn't make any difference. And a fella says, I'm starving. Mm. Starving. You have to have his breakfast. Yeah. You're talking about six o'clock in the evening. I'm starving. Mm. Like he's, he's it's relative. It's relevant. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it yeah. Make what's any happened difference. in Yemen? Yeah. 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 So. Take us back to um, to your career as a as a jockey because there like you, you obviously had enough connections to get the good horses to be able to win big races as well. Well, you were, you were good enough. Like it's a, yeah. It's connections is a ton. I when I started riding, uh, my dad was much the same as we are now, a handy stable, but. Uh, in 1966 I rode, it wasn't, any, wasn't probably much good and didn't ride any winners until 69. But my dad in 69, 
late 69, had three animals together that he bought. He bought a horse in Carame Fair, which one of you would have known about. It's a fair down in Budafin on the 12th of July, off a man called Kevin Healy, uh, who's actually uh, a grandfather to uh, the Townsends now. Do you know what I mean? All right. Yeah, but Kevin Healy and my dad knew him. Bought a horse called Bally Richard again that had got beaten a couple of bumpers and Kevin thought there was something wrong with him. Weakness in his heart to me. Uncle Ted bought him for 150 quid for me to ride him in Pint of Pints. Young Ted. And he had a mare that he, a horse he bought off of Larry Keaton called Shamunda for about 800 quid, which was good money at the time. And we had a mare we bred ourselves called Star Vision out of Sailor Star, who I had ridden as well. Star Vision went on to be a good brood bear. And the three of them arrived together, and I was just about, I'd ridden five or six winners. And the three of them were nice horses, and they won 12 races between the three of them. Wow. Like that. Shamunda won four or five off the trot, and so did Valley Richard again. And they all won at, at the now. Leperstown meeting, but was moved to Ferry House while they were doing up Leperstown, and they won real good races. And all of a sudden, they went from being a nobody to riding twelve good winners at the good meetings at Leperstown. On your own horses, on our own horses. But ah, dad sold all three of them the, the following spring because they were for sale. But I rode twelve winners on them, and then fellas started rode other horses. That time you lost your claim when you rode fifteen winners, and I lost my claim on Shimonda and Bally Richard again on St Stephen's Day and rode the other two the next two days without the claim. Right. So then fellas started. Peter McCreary, which was a great supporter of mine and I knew him well, uh, rode for him and for Paddy Osborne who trained, who I knew as well. And it just took off from there. And there was the real senior lads, Francis, late Francis Flood, who was the senior man then, and Bill McLaren, who's still alive. They were the top dogs and they were getting to the end of their career and there was a new batch coming on. and. It just worked out that way. I got on the best horses. When you're riding the best horses, whether you're Ruby Walsh, Barry Garrity, Davy Russell, or Mahatma Gandhi's mother, you'll win. The mm. best horse. Do you tell them that? Does Ruby, huh? does Ruby they say, know that well. shut up that? They know that well. The best horse leaving the parade ring usually wins. Right. Unless something happens to him. But the best horse usually wins. He may fall or he may run below himself. If you're to define one thing that separates, like we're, I'm watching a race the other night and I thought the jockey, the split second decision, whether to chase the pace, go for the front or take a pull and I thought he sort of procrastinated for maybe a furlong and didn't really know what to do and I was kind of wondering what defines the right good jockey from the good jockey like is it that split second knowing the right brains. thing to do just brains. yeah brains it's what makes the difference it, the real the real top fellas are most of them are very good to ride most of them are well able to hold a horse sit into a horse and do all them things but the real top guys the Frankie the Tories of this world they have an innate able to read the situation, like Johnny Sexton. Johnny Sexton's great rugby players, but Johnny Sexton's a bit special because he can just read the game differently than most fellas. And that's, I think that's what, and the same way race riding, some fellas can read it as well, just that bit better than, 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 than anybody else. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they all, some people look better and they're more stylish and some fellas are strong. Now, if you have the whole package, if you have guts, horsemanship, style, strength, Bottle and brains. <laughs> Your Ruby Walsh. Yeah. Well, yeah. can I ask you about that then? Because it, like um, that, the, the brains bit. How much of that do you train with experience, and how much of it is unconscious? What's the what's that balance? I'd say. I don't think you can teach I that. Really, I, 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 I agree yeah. with John. I don't yeah. think you can teach that. You can't teach fellas to be Michael O'Leary. Do you know what I mean? He just has that innate way of being able to see around the corner or the likes of. JP or Dermot Desmond or mm, the man who owns this place here. Yeah, Do you know Dennis O'Brien. Dennis O'Brien. They can just see around the corner and there's only a handful of people can see around the corner. But, but they can do it. Can you condition yourself though as a jockey to go, okay, I've been in this situation before or is it you see a gap? Is it, is it, like it's a, it, yeah. I'm using see a gap yeah. as a euphemism. Like a footballer sees a gap and they go through it and they're through yeah. it before they even know it. But well, the same way riding a horse. If you're riding a horse tomorrow morning and you're falling, we said the 15 or 16 runners and you're down the rail and the guy in front of you, first of all, you have a look and see is a good rider. We'd say it's Damien Russell or Ruby Walsh. Left hand to track, he's a stick in his right hand and the horse is galloping away and he's not going to come off that bend. You know he's not because he's ready for the bend and he's ready. He's not going to move out. Have a look and see who's in front of him. It might be Barry Garrity. Stick in his right hand, left-handed track. Horses jumping dead straight. Unless you're a clown, unless they, for some reason, they drop dead, they're not going to let you through there. Now, if you're behind a fella who has his stick in his left hand on a right-handed track and the horse keeps jumping to his right, at some stage, if you're wide enough, you'll say, when he comes under pressure and he goes from, he's a certainty to go right and I'll jump through his inner. Right. You've got to read, it's like 
be stuck in three lanes of the motorway up along and you're looking as there's a fella up there with the red lights on he's breaking every minute and getting out from behind him yeah. doesn't know where he's going he starts looking around him it's like driving a car you read the situation and the good lads can read it quicker they can all read it it's, it's the one thing that ra- I don't think people get that don't follow racing is that every race it's so random what might happen in yeah. that race and like we'll say I was even the Breeders Cup some of the potential team tactics that was going on yeah. in some race and that yeah. Frankie Dottori riding an able so he has to kind yeah. of write how do I react to this and that's the beauty that's of it, it. that's yeah. the beauty of it he was there watching uh, Wayne Lord on his outside and he knew that Wayne is there maybe trying to just keep him comfortable keep him busy not going to give him a freebie and all of a sudden he can read it but the good fellas like the Tory can read that as I said to you Tory is a great racing brand the Tory is probably as good a flat jockey as any of us will ever see you're only two young lads appreciate what you're looking at because the likes of him don't come along too easy he's the bigger the occasion the better he rides he just can read the situation whether he's lobbing along in front now he's everything he's an artist on it as well is he getting he better with time or is that he's like not getting better but he's well able to t- I said the occasion doesn't bother him at all now and he's come through a few old tricky patches and still come out the right end and he's riding for a great man who understands the game as well you need somebody as well that when you do everyone makes a cock up like I'm sure you lads do you don't want some when you go to the door to give you a bollocking over something that you know you know what I mean and, and when people say Mick wants it more than Jack Jack wants it too but it just didn't happen for Jack that day do you know the jumps jockeys of this year will say if you go back to nearly Paul Carberry how, how would they compare from your experience like Carberry, Garrity, Ruby, Ruby and Davy Russell I'd say the four or five lads as you mentioned there and throwing puppy power as well they're as good as ever was I don't think any more any better I think they're a great good bunch together but style has evolved as well hasn't it like our yeah. jockeys have kind of gotten more stylish yeah but Bobby Beasley was very stylish now in the 60s very stylish uh, but Frank Berry was more stylish than any of the present writers really yeah more stylish yeah. Frank Berry was poetry in motion yeah. to watch him do you know what I mean? Left or right hand. I remember Frank jumping the last one day at Punchestown on an horse. And if it's safe, he switches. Now, it's not too long from the back of the last to the winning post to Punchestown. And I think Ruby is good at it. And I think a few of them are good at it. But Frank, I'd say he changed it five times. Like, you couldn't see him change it. Young Jack Kennedy is very good at it as well for a kid. Do you know? It's great to see them able to read the situation. Like, Frank was a supreme stylist because he was a, a stylist. If Frank had been light enough, he'd been champion flat jockey. Do you know? He was... He was, he was everything you'd want, plus having a, a brain to go with it all as well. Too, yeah. you know? I think what he's talking about there as well, like as TV gets you know better and better, like to be able to find down the years, hopefully to come, to be able to show little things like that in slow motion and to yeah. focus in on what jockeys are actually doing. Because we sort of see the replay, we might see the head on, yeah. and then we go back into the parade ring, but yeah. there's so much going on. So much going so on, is right, is right. And, and you'd like to see it. And yeah. And some fellas are good. Now, Ruby is good at it, explaining what went through. You need a fella as well too. And... They need the current lads riding that are the people they know. Like, you know, again, old fart like being the set up along the street. You explain what he's doing. You, the older generation that know I rode. You know, but fellas say, does he know what he's talking about? Like, you know, but that's the water sort of way it is. It's, it's that. But take someone to explain. Like, you have the good fellas on the rugby or the soccer explaining yeah. why. Donald Lenahan is lovely there now. When you listen to him explaining why a fella did it. It makes a big difference. It does. Yeah. Like, why did he do that? You know? Yeah. Now, and, and, and that's what you need, someone to exp- those sorts of situations. You know? I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to enter our competition here and then we'll come back and talk about the training as well because we haven't got to that yet. Uh, so the Tote.com are sponsoring the opening and closing races on St. Stephen's Day at Leopardstown Christmas Festival and they want to give six people a great day out on the first day of the Christmas Festival which includes admission and dinner in the 1888 restaurant for you and five of your mates. To enter, just get on our Facebook stream now and answer this question, which jockey is currently leading the Irish Jump Jockey Championship? And we'll get in touch with you a little bit later on today. Um, the the joy that you get from winning a race as a jockey uh, versus the joy that you get from winning a race as a trainer, it strikes me that one is kind of instantaneous and not disposable, but the other one is like a kind of long, slow, steady build-up that leads to this massive... There's definitely more pressure as 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 a as a as a, as a, as a trainer because you have to, the well-being of the horse on the build-up to it. You know, the jockey, or he might pick the right horse or whatever he does, he makes a decision on the day, he's got maybe five or six rides, and if he makes a cock up in race two, he might be able to fix it on race three. But the fellow with the, basically the fellow with one or two horses, and he goes to Leprous on a Christmas with one geared up for the Paddy Power or something like that, and he's happy with him, and everything has to go well, and he knows well there's 30 runners there, he's got to get a run, and that might be his only day, his big day. And if it goes well, the relief along with everything else is great that you 
that everything you've done up to now, you go to see that he's finished up, his last bit of work, was everybody happy with him, were you happy with him? You go to look at him to see that that didn't take a bit out of him, didn't take, did I give him enough to leave him right, or did I give him too much to take the edge off him? No matter who you are, you just wonder, even the great trainers like Aidan or Willie, wonder like if it's all going to go right on the day, because for some reason, something might go wrong, and you say, how did I get that wrong? I'm sure... Aidan with Saxon Warrior was frustrated several times this year. Such fine margins as yeah. well, do you know, you know the committee. I mean? Like it's great when it when it goes up and it wins and Do you remember when Fox Rock ran his first handicap at Leprosound? I remember Ted came in, I think we we're in Clonmel or uh, we're somewhere down the country and I was telling Ted I'm back to 14 to 1 he said geez that's a right good bet I'd love to have some of that and I said I don't have enough on to give you any of it but he turned up in the day everything went absolutely perfect and Harvey Tony Martin had one to do him yeah. and it's just even when you the horse was probably couldn't have been in better nick No one and and just one little one little thing can can possibly go wrong. And he probably had ten pound up his sleeve. Yeah, and he was still he, beaten. Yeah, he was still yeah. beaten. He carried five pounds. Living next door, beat him. I think. Yeah, he, he kept five or six pounds extra the next day. And he ended up running well in Grade Ones in down the line. The, like. He won the Leperstown Chase. Yeah. Three weeks later, yeah. with six pound more on his yeah. back and won well. Ended up getting beat off a one forty four, but actually being nearly a one sixty horse. But then Calber Station went another year, who I thought wasn't as good a horse as Fox Rock. I thought he had a good chance, and he bolted in. You know, it's yeah. just. And I mean, that horse I mentioned to you, Harvey Stone, that my dad had, it used to be the Findus. We had him spot on it, we thought, and he won too as well. But you get other horses then, just as you say, fine margins, horses just can get done on you, do you know? Is that, um, just doing some research ahead of this, people would talk about you have a, a great ability to target races and to present the horses at their absolute peak at the right time. Is that fair to say that that would have been your strength as a trainer? Ah, it's a bit over the top, I'd say. I haven't got as much ability. <laughs> I, I, I would like to think that at this stage of my life, I'd know when a horse is in good order. And you'd always have to leave yourself. If you're aiming for Leperstown at Christmas, you can't have Maggie's peak the first run in October. You have them as close as you think. And then you get another run maybe into November three or four weeks later, with the view to having them spot on for Christmas. Like anybody, it's like the good football teams, they don't come out the first day 100%, yeah. but they have to be fairly close to it in order to get through to the next round. And to know what's left. And to know what's left, and to know what's left, and, and, and to know, like an old horse, the greatest uh, for most people training horses is, you, you get to look at them every day, I wouldn't be able to handle any more than what I have, 15 or 16, but you pull the rugs off them, you look at them, and you know sort of, healthy wise how he is how he's eating up horses eating well you know how he is his well-being all those things and you you sort of put all them together and you know it i give great credit to the people who can handle the big numbers because it's a huge responsibility like it's wanting to handle a, a few and maybe do a good job with it but these fellas can do it with 150 and 200 I, I can I can figure out how they can do that yeah, to, yeah. like and to still have the eye to know That's what I'm saying. you can it's, delegate but you also have to know yourself you have to know yourself as well you know do you feel like you've got generations of, of knowledge when you're looking at the horse and that I have I have a good enough of knowledge I know I know I know when horses look well and when horses don't and I know what a nice looking horse is in my eyes and I know soundness I'm probably a little bit too as brought up in a, in a, in a, in a place where it was most important that the horses were sound and because you were going to sell them on and I'm probably a little bit conservative uh, I remember Paddy Mullen saying to me one time, we were sitting at a table and I was talking to him, that's Willie's father, and I said to him, the worst thing Paddy I said is when you go out at night, now a lot of us that live near the yards would go out around nine o'clock or half nine, have a look to see if everything is all right before you uh, go to bed. And uh, Paddy says when you go out, Paddy used to go with a flash lamp and he'd shine it around and make sure they were all right, maybe they ate up or that kind of thing. And uh, I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, and when you run your hand down along her leg, I said, and you feel something. I said, that's some sickening feeling. And he said, I'll tell you, give you a cure for that. He said, what's that? He says, don't do it. Don't feel it. <laughs> because he said, the only person, he said, that's not going to sleep, he said, is you. Yeah. He says, because you can't contact the owner. It's too late for a vet. So he said, the only fella, he said, that's going to have a sleepless night is you. So wait till the morning. If you haven't done it, if you haven't felt that, and he said, at four o'clock in the afternoon, don't bother your barn, he said, at half nine at night. He said, I spent too many nights, he says, rolling around in bed, he says, that, he says. And he was right, like, at yeah. that hour of the night, like, what can you do, only have a sleepless night yeah. to say, what am I facing in the when morning? When you said looking at a horse, you can judge a horse in your eyes, what's, what, what's the, the main thing you would look at, or what, what's, what's your big no-no when you're looking at a horse physically? That you well, colour, 
I'll, I hate to see a horse gone, gone of his old coat. Mm. You know what I mean? Whether it's like hasn't got a bloom. And I love when I pull a rug off a horse that I can see health. Mm. You know, look, it's like looking at somebody you say, fella, geez, that fella looks great. Mm. And you see a fella come in the door and he looks grey. You might even say anything to him. You say, ah, oh, you're in great old farm. You say, geez, I met Johnny Sonson the other day. He's a horrible colour. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And you say, you know, I would be surprised if there's something wrong with him. And it's the yeah. same way with an old horse. Yeah. You pull off the rug off him. And it's the same, it's the same, it's the same innate ability that mothers have with kids. They don't need, if a mother has to go to the doctor, she's usually right to something wrong. Yeah, you can tell. You, you shouldn't underestimate him now as a trainer, in fairness, for the, for the numbers you had, you were well able to get horses right. And, ah, they were good and horses. had good they days, Comanche Court, yeah. Papillon, yeah, but also good. even Fox Rock and... Ah yeah, we lots of them. has been very good to us. Rinkeree won two Ericsson's and uh, Comanche Court won plenty of races there. Papillon, uh, Southern Vic, they all won grade one races at Leperstown. Who was uh, your favourite? Comanche Court. Yeah. My favourite horse that I'll ever have anything to do with. Why? He was the kindest horse that I ever had anything to do with. And when I wanted him, he delivered. I mm. badly needed him in the triumph hurdle. He stuck his head down and ran to the line. And he was just a great horse. And when he worked well, when I backed him, he never let me down. I thought he had a chance in the triumph hurdle and he won. And he was just, when he, if he worked well, he'd run well. And if he worked bad or worked, you'd be making excuses, he wouldn't run that well. He told you exactly how he was. If he'd done a good bit of work, He'd usually run to every pound of it. He was a great horse. Would you get anyway sentimental? No, I know the English oh, are yeah. mad for this, but would you get sentimental when he died? Like, oh, just I was broken hearted. Yeah, broken hearted. Broken hearted. You're even talking about him. Yeah, Do you yeah. know. And even I hate the job. Even uh, old Papillon died there during the year and Seabass. and I've Rinkerie now, and he's 27. And at some day I'm going to have to bring him down and call Mark McRedmond out of Anglesey to come and put him down. Because mm. he's going to get old. Yeah. And he's grand at the moment, he's eating well, he's a rogue on him, and he's nice and warm, and he's booking around the field, and when I call him, he comes over to me. But I'll go up to the field someday and call him, and he, and he won't come over, because his appetite is gone. It's a real sign, you know, if you're sick, your appetite goes. And when you're old and ready to close the box, the appetite goes as well. Now, you can't put humans down, but you have to put horses down. But you, some, just humans would like to be put down as well too, not to be left suffering. Absolutely. So when I go up to feed him someday and he doesn't jog across the field to me where I feed him, I'll say, you're at the end of the road, old man, and I have to put him down. Mm. And I'll be sad that day. Yeah, I'm sure. It sounds, it sounds like it is the whole circle yeah. of life. It like. is. The circle of life is right. And I, and I think that... Like people give out about cruelty of racing and wanting it. There's not the people involved from the great majority that I can talk about. Ninety nine percent. There is the odd rogues, no matter what business you're in. Look after our horses, great. The people and they feed them well and look after them and put an old rogue on them and when, and brave enough to say it's like your dog. Decision comes that he has to be put down. That's Comanche you know? Court there. That's Comanche Court there. Yeah. Oh, he was a gent. The, the attachment that the... A lot of nicer fellas than the fellas holding on to there. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you. The attachment that the stable workers have with them horses that they have to, you know, that they mind day in, day out. Yeah. Um, you can't put a price on that. No, like no. I often think they prefer them to humans nearly. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? And, and anyone could ride him at home. If you came down to me now and said, I'd like to ride out something... Well, this is when he would stop riding. You could throw your leg up on him there and ride him around. I remember nice. when he was finished, I used to ride him down to the curra when the lads would be going out to work and I'd ride him down and I'd stand there at the edge of the curra and he'd watch horses galloping up and he was just one of them sort of horses that you could give to anybody. Jennifer now, my eldest daughter, used to ride him a bit and she didn't ride a lot but she used to ride him away all the time. I was so sorry that he got a twisted gut. He was only 13 like. Right. And he got a twisted gut and we had to put him down. It was that or a huge operation that he mightn't have pulled out through. So. Yeah. Ned Gone was the vet at the time and he said, listen, you're going to put him through a lot of hardship for, very, for maybe not a nice outcome. Yeah. So we just euthanized him and that was it. But it was a rotten day. I'm sure, yeah. Um, the, the, the racing life and the racing life that you've had, you've passed on happily to your, to your kids, it seems. Yeah, they like it. They were reared up in the yard. No pressure on them to come in or come out. Uh, they all liked it. They all like outdoor life. They all like a bit of sport in general. The lads played rugby. Uh, the girls were into everything else as far as sport goes, and they liked it. And uh, they're all pretty good at it as well. And they all liked it. Yeah, they are. The so Ruby played a bit of rugby. Yeah, Ruby played a bit of rugby. Played with Nace. Yeah, Ted Cochlin, my uh, brother-in-law, uh, he uh, ran the young youths in in and and uh, uh, Joey Carberry's father was there at the time mm. in Nace as well. And 
it, they were all there and they loved playing it and they loved playing a bit of gas as well, but rugby mostly because that's what their cousins, the young Cocklands, were at as well too. So they were all at it. Yeah. And Ted was in charge. And Katie was mad into their ponies from a very early age, animals and ponies, and loved it. Do you know what I mean? And was there ever any time in your racing life when, you know, the, the recessions of the 80s weren't great, time for... Irish sport, where you thought, I need to get out of this no, and do something else? never thought of it. Right, okay. Never even crossed my mind. Yeah. Never even, I loved what I was doing. I was able to make a living at it. You mightn't have made as much. Things were tight. You cut down. Maybe didn't change the car as often as you should. Maybe didn't go on a holiday. All the things you, we were taught to, uh, my father and mother were, were taught me from, like, make sure you can afford it before you buy it. Mm. Never got into debt too much for either property or land or houses. Saved a few quid. They always saved a few quid. Had a down payment on a house when I bought it. When I got married, Lakeland's houses were uh, 11 grand. Now they ended up being, they're probably 300,000 now. That's when I moved into. But yeah. I saved up four grand and then got a loan. And that time the loan was 16%. Yeah. Jeez. 16% left. That's that, the country you were in. You know what I mean? That's the way we were in. But like, uh, that's the way it was. You just saved up and buying a car as well to write a few old winners and put a few quid together and save it and buy a car. And when you can afford it. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you could fairly afford it. You know what I mean? We weren't into that. So it didn't really. Uh, the recession didn't, obviously everything was tight, but we got through it. Yeah. Health is the big thing. How much do you enjoy the RT work down the years? I enjoy it. I enjoy the lads I'm working with. I enjoy it. Uh, it's nice. It's easy. Uh, it's a sport I love, so it's very easy to talk about it. Mm. And I enjoyed it. Uh, the boss man when I went in was Tim O'Connor, and he was good to sort of stand behind you and everything else, and it was good. And that time they were trying to get in fellas from within sports to talk about the sport they were in. There was different fellas from different... Uh, sports brought in that time, you know. Yeah. And Richard Pittman had been doing a bit of it for BBC. He was the first sort of ex-jockey to do it for BBC, and then they started here. I was doing it, and uh, it was I enjoyed it. I was talking about sport I loved and horses and. You were very lads. candid, though. I don't think I don't think we'll ever get anyone like Ted in that. You, you have people going to the sport, and they know everyone, so they'll say so much, but they won't say exactly what they think. But I don't think the filter really matters with Ted. It's like this is how it is, and if you don't like it, go screw yourselves. And I think that's what really marked him out and made it so entertaining. An RT racing down the years, yeah. yourself and Robert. Thanks for Rob saying Rob it. Robert had like you know very kind of prim and proper, and he knew what Ted might come out with, and you know, and that dynamic was just great to watch. In fairness, and still is. Well, I don't know. I suppose to get to the end of it now, but I mean, at some stage, you get to the end of everything, you get repetitious. But uh, everyone has every dog has his day. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it well. And uh, but I love racing. I've raced all over the world. We used to go to the Breeders' Cups, five or six of us there. We went all over the world. We went to California and New York and uh, Canada and Hong Kong and different places. We'd make six or eight of us go off out to the. You know, I enjoy it. I enjoy the race and enjoy the lads that are involved in it. We talk about it and the fellas I'm pally with, I'd ring them every day and something happened and just like fellas would be involved in rugby or yeah. sport or whatever it is like, you know. They're your people. They're your people is right and that's what you like and I love to see the fellas and I get great satisfaction of a fellow like Gordon Elliott now. Gordon Elliott, I know Gordon Elliott since he was knee high to a grasshopper, a kid. Uh, he was pally with uh, Jennifer and Jennifer Mullum and I knew him first. Rode a few pint of pint horses for me. Great fella. Then he went on, got a bit heavy for riding. Was an amateur, but a very good one. Went over to Martin Pipe, learned his trade there well, came back, and he's been a phenomenal. Like his father was a mechanic with a garage there in Summerhill. Like no, no sort of financial background into racing, but he's done what he's done is absolutely phenomenal. I. Take me hat off to him. I think he's a, I think he's a star. No, I, I mean Willie, this, Willie Mullins the same way has broken everything. But like, but Willie had the background on. Yeah, but Willie so. had a, had a background yeah. to come into it. Now he brought it to. A, you wouldn't imagine somebody that brought it to the level that his father brought it to. That his son could eclipse that completely. Yeah. I mean Willie has just set the bar so high. Like it's very hard to say there'll never be another Willie Mullins because you never know. But I just said anybody, I won't see one anyway. Now Johnny Ward might see one already. Would, would you have any worry that? Um, you know, if you look at even the, the big handicaps now, that they've so many horses that the, the the days of Ted Walsh getting a very fancied run on the Paddy Power or Peter Casey or uh, you know Tom Foley, that they, it's so much concentration that, and it's the one worry you have for the National Hunt game that it's becoming very very hard to get a nice horse for the for the average man. Yeah, you say that, Johnny. But again, I'm an older generation. I remember going to Ferry House Easter Monday. Every Easter Monday, Tom Draper would win the Irish National. Mm. for nine, ten Easter Sundays in a row and sometimes four of the five runners in the race it'd be Tom Draper's 
one would beat the other one. Splash and Carrefour or Last Link or Arkle and Flying Bolt. You might have one out of the blue that might be second. And they dominated that, that scene. When I was a kid growing up, Paddy Slater and Tom Draper dominated it. Like you, an ordinary small fella had no chance. You arrive into the bumper, the first thing they say to you, what is Slater in the bumper? What is Draper in the bumper? And like no one even, there was no, they were odds on and they'd win. Mm. And that'd be mm. it. And people say, oh, they, they'll dominate. But the thing rolls on, somebody else comes along and somebody else comes along and... It's it, it just changed. At the moment, you'd say it, they're dominating it and you look at the races, but it's always sort of dominated by Somebody. one or two. We thought Kilkenny would never end in the hurling, but it the, did the, end. I do think one thing we need in jumps racing is the likes of Denoli, Tom Foley, uh, Peter we need Casey. It I think we need a story that people, because Irish people want the underdog to succeed and they want the, the farmer down the road who stumbled upon the horse yeah. that ended up with a small trainer who went on to win the Gold yeah. Cup. That's that's why I think, I know we'll say Philip Reynolds didn't short for a few bob, but Pat Kelly having a horse yes. in the middle of that sort of Galway that could be Gold Cup favourite. Um, yeah. it, that means a lot to racing, I think, because and it's great for us. It is great for us, and it'll be great for everybody. I know Pat Kelly all his life as well too. And, um, and man, a few words, man, a few words, <laughs> man is a hat at the times. <laughs> but like, uh, but a right fella and a yeah. real, real ability. And you, when he was connected with different fellas along the line, Pat's a right fella, great horseman, knows exactly when all horses right. That would be a great story, a yeah. great story if he could go and win a gold cup. But I don't know. It's like Coney Green winning the gold cup for the Bradstocks, like. It, it, you have to have a, when that goes it'll be a great story but you need the, the backup of more yeah. of it as well too but yeah. it, it'll happen it'll yeah. happen yeah I mean, the industry probably needs those big ones to keep it going and then it's up to us I suppose in the media as well to find those other stories that actually I, I definitely and, and th there are a lot of stories in racing out there about uh, like like Jessica Harrington she wins a gold cup in her 70s with her first runner she wins her first Irish national the same year she's her, her hand is broken because she was out skiing and she celebrated i think to win the gold cup by having a frozen pizza at home yeah. you know and these are the stories and she doesn't she'll get up in the next morning and do it all again and she's yeah. in her 70s uh, you have frank frank oaks riding his his two horses and he rides them out at home he's 77. kevin prendergast winning a group two this year at 86. Yeah. planning a, a classic campaign next year 86 give up cigarettes at 50. there's the stories we want to hear like paddy mullins was in his late 60s before he was champion trainer mm, mm. and he was champion trainer seven red times after that, I didn't know that. yeah right. late 60s almost 70 years of age wow. before he was champion trainer and he was champion trainer eight seven red times after that That's i mean mad. there's nobody racing people don't retire they just die yeah yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. such a fella died, he passed off, but yeah. that's his retirement. You don't die unless the, you're healthy. You don't retire. You know, just, you just die. Yeah. Will you stay with us? Because we want to just talk about a couple of races that are coming okay. up at the weekend. Um, Johnny, you've picked two at Ascot on Saturday. That um, that are the JLT hurdle and the Betfair Exchange Trophy. Will we start with the JLT? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a tricky enough race because a lot of these uh, the the staying hurling division and as Ted knows it, it looks a bit uh, kind of up in the air. Penhill won the race last year, but then he was destroyed by Faheen. Um, so we have you know what I mean, Harry kind of rocking up again, and Sam Spinner who won the race last year, and um, I think he I think he's around eight to one. I think he might be worth worth chancing uh, because he's cheap. He's on the first time. He has his ground. Um, I, I don't know if Ted saw the race earlier. They're actually dolling off some of the hurdles today because, yeah, because of wind issues. Um, yeah. I, I imagine tomorrow that'll be okay. But this horse will go out in front. He's very game. Um, he, Sam Spinner. Uh, Sam Spinner. Yeah. He'll give you a good run for your money. Yeah. Now we've just been at Cheltenham last year, Ted. But I, I don't think I don't think he'll ever win a, a, a serious hurdle. But I think tomorrow, you know, the likes. You know what I mean, Harry Henderson has a horse in the race uh, who's very likely race. Call me Lord. He's stepping up in trip. It's his first run of the season. He'd have to be very good to win this. And Obviously, Sam Spinner, just if you could explain to Ted, cheek piece on for the first time, I'd say they're just implying that he just might need a bit of concentration levels, that maybe just um, at this stage of his life, he just might need something to give him a little bit of a trigger. Why would you put cheek piece on a horse? Well, cheek piece is going on a horse. A horse has, has peripheral vision. He can see behind him as well, too. But, I mean, a horse with, 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 with cheek pieces just stops him, maybe, if he's looking back to see what the opposition is, yeah. see what they're coming. You know, like that kind of thing. It's like years ago, uh, you wouldn't remember, all the horses wore winkers. Mm. Because they would, so they wouldn't be frightened. If you see the Guinness horses, they always had winkers on them. Well, winkers are very like blinkers or cheek pieces. So he wouldn't, if something was coming from behind, it wouldn't frighten him. Right. And that's the reason. It's just so that concentrating on what's on in front, you don't want him looking back. And then when he might hear the sound that he gathers the momentum before they actually get one. He can hear them coming, but he can't see them. And he gathers the momentum. Sometimes horses... I have a mare now, the one the other day uh, at Dundalk, at Lafayette Hill, and she needs them because when horses get around her, she backs back. Right. She just, if the gap is getting tight, 
she's inclined to say, oh, won't make it here. A bit like a cowardly driver. Right. You know, you said you're behind him. He said, for God's sake, drive on. And he said, oh, there's one up both sides of me. And next minute he pulls back. Yeah. Where like, there's plenty of room. Yeah. But he's afraid. Yeah. Teach a man on the right is going to get him. And horses are like that as well. When, they, when the gap gets a little bit tight. They obviously work. They obviously work. But they work on everything. They work. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. A few drivers should have them as well, too. <laughs> the Betfair Exchange, there's um, a few here as well that uh, I think people will remember from last year. Yeah, well, this race was won last year by Hunter's Call, which a uh, few of your colleagues remember because he was he was owned by uh, a cousin of mine, Michael Ward, who basically, uh, if you should see, Ted, where, where he came from, he came from nothing, like absolute poverty in East Galway. Um, but his his father, back in the day, when they were in the bog, um, Michael and his brother Robert would be footing turf uh, or turning turf, and his father would throw the water as far as he could into the horizon and say, once you reach the water, you can drink it. And that takes a long time in the bog. But they worked hard, and Michael, um, they set up Warden Burks' construction crowd, and uh, they've become like very wealthy men, but two from nothing. And he owned a horse called Hunter's Call. He just got into racing, sold him on to uh, Ollie Murphy in England, and I remember being on the show Saturday this time last year telling Nathan he was worth a few bob each way, he was 16 to 1. And Nathan uh, told me 10 minutes later he's after winning. His face went white because he was after winning the race. And Ollie Murphy's a horse tomorrow. Um, I don't know if you remember the horse Faisal, Ted, that was with yeah. Owen Doyle. So he's having his first start for him. But the British handicapper, he won off 112 in Tipperary. He's 133 tomorrow. So it's 21, it's 21 pounds, pounds. And he's on soft ground. I think Flying Tiger is interesting. He won the Fred Winter two years ago, two seasons ago. He was favourite county hurdle last year. Pointed, but he's gone back to his winning mark. Chester Williams is claiming seven, and uh, I think at his price, 14 20s each, he's interesting each way. Tigers, uh, flying tiger, flying tiger. Okay, well, that's for, that's for tomorrow. And then obviously, it, it's mad. There's no racing between Tipperary uh, tomorrow and Stevens Day in Ireland, which is as long a gap as you'll ever get in Irish racing. And uh, I was kind of making the point earlier, like it's great for the staff, but for a lot of them, they still be working anyway. They just won't be racing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they'll they'll be at home, but at least it's and in fairness to HRI and the program, Dundalk finishes at eight o'clock tonight just to give people a bit more uh, ease at home. home. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are aiming to add to the one thousand four hundred and eighty-five euros that we've raised for the Irish Injured Jockeys Fund with this week's charity bet from the tote.com. We've got another hundred euro charity bet, uh, Johnny. The pressure is on. Mouse Morris, who you would have ridden against. Yes. Um, so he's a, he's Mouse doesn't have the jinx on horses anymore, which um, is is tough for him because he's a, he had a lot of success. But you know, I I always will I'll always defend jinx sound in many ways because I think and they're results driven. They're not very sentimental, but they're great for the game because they keep the horse in Ireland. They might be harsh, but the horses run honourably and they run honestly. And in any event, um, Mouse has, uh, wouldn't have the horses he had, but uh, John Magner has this last man standing. I think he's a lovely horse. Three miles beginner's chase tomorrow. I think he'll take a lot of beating. It's in the 12-15. And it'll be great for Mouse to have a winner at Christmas. Straight up to yeah. win. Mouse yeah. a good fella. Mouse trained an English national winner, two Irish national winners and a Gold Cup winner for Jiggenstone. That's amazing. But yeah. that's, that's not the first time. something like People are entitled to change. Uh, when Golden Miller... Uh, who won five gold cups? He had three different trainers. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. I think you they, they like sent them younger horses, but they're they're they are like Jig and Sonar, It's results based, unfortunately. I'm like Tony Martin, you know Sandra Hughes. Uh, there were plenty of horse trainers that had horses with them, and um, you know they've they've kind of concentrated on four now. Basically, Joseph, Henry, uh, Noel Gordon. Mead, and Gordon. And Gordon will have the lion's share of them. I think they'll give horses to other people, but like it's very different to JP, who'll more or less keep trainers in the game by giving them a few horses. Yeah. Um, Jig and Sound are just different way. Of looking very at very it. different. Um, but uh, you know, if everything was the same, it'd be boring, I suppose. Um, we were outside. Evan Yates sidled up to you and was asking about Leperstown just to chat to you. This is yeah. the time of the year where everybody's looking forward to, like. Leperstown at Christmas has a special, just, just a bang of Christmas off it. Le yeah, and, and Leperstown at Christmas is the first time that all the real good horses, whether you're in England or Ireland, will clash or go for the big pots. You have the Christmas Hurl and you have uh, the King George at Kempton and you have the Welsh National at Chepstow. Huge, huge pots, huge races. Talk that Ruby might be going to Limerick as well on Stephen's Yeah, Day. Limerick, uh, there's a great one at Limerick this year now and he's going down there to ride Get a Bird, who was impressive at uh, Punchestown. Likes to go right-handed, it's a great one. It's equivalent to the one at Leperstown. The two-mile one is two-mile and three. 
like if he jumps to clear around, he should be hard to beat. Have you any advice for Ruby um, with the way he's kind of he's been more a little bit picky and choosy now because he's getting older and he's had ferocious injuries. Ruby broke his leg, came back at Cheltenham and broke it again the following day, and people just say, Asher, oh, sure, it is what it is. Like, if that was everyday life, you'd be like, this lad is going, going off to a war or something. But have you any sort of advice for him this season, or have you advised him on, like, Charlie obviously was riding over hurdles towards the, towards the end of his career, or were you, were you sort of saying, go flat out as you always were before? Or I wouldn't say, I'd say you can't mind yourself. I mean, Ruby's m- most serious injuries have happened over hurdles. Mm. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, um, the good horse that he rode, Celestial Halo, uh, he broke his arm and ribbons off of him at Liverpool. He broke his leg off a of let's dance at Punchestone over hurls. BCL as well yeah. was he? You know, yeah, yeah, I mean a bis- yeah, I mean in, in, in the triumph. Like, yeah. they're over hurls. You get a worse fall over hurls you do over fences because they're so fast. They are, yeah. and you're not expecting that. No, I wouldn't. I listen. Ruby is 40, 39 years of age. I don't give many. If he wants advice off me, he rings me about something. We chat every day, maybe three or four times a day. But if he was in any doubt about something, he might ring me and ask me, and we talk about it. But I wouldn't. You can't pick and choose. I He'd say that uh, he's no chance of being champion jockey this year. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still going to get a bit more selective. Willie is a bit more selective as well with him. Uh, doesn't want him riding horses that have no chance. The other day he was going to ride something in England. Oh, yeah. Um, Undesu. Yeah. And somebody wanted him to ride something in the first at, at uh, Sandown. And Willie said, no. He said, yeah. I want you, I have no, no, yeah. I've no Paul Townend sitting inside in the wear room. So he said, if you get knocked out, he said, who's going to ride Undesu? How good he is Townend, do you think? Townend is as good as there is. Yeah. Paul Townend is a top-class jockey in every sense of the word, uh, physically, mentally, and every step of the way. Paul Townend is as good as it gets. All Townend needs, like any of them do, is to get on the good horses. And Jack Kennedy is similar as well, too. Mm. As a young fella, I haven't seen any better. You know? Yeah. Is there a part of you that kind of is really looking forward to the day when your kids stop riding professionally and competitively? Mm, I suppose there is. I suppose safety factor. I suppose when they get hurt, you say, Jesus, like, I I mean, that's an unnatural thing. That's a fatherly thing. I mean, you don't want them to get hurt. But I know where Ruby's coming from. Like, Ruby knows well that when he says the time is up, there will never be another thing in his life, sporting-wise, that he give him the kick he's getting out of what he's doing at the moment. The kick. When you come back down there at Cheltenham after winning a good race and you're coming back down there, the adrenaline, the... So, and Katie's the same way. Katie is, is going to miss it terribly as well too because like those days and both of them, you don't miss it if you were riding the last couple of years and you hated what you were doing but yeah. you were only doing it because it was a job. It's like a fella who, who loves the job and a fella who's sick of it. Like he doesn't really mind if he gives it up because he's sick of it anyway. Yeah. But the fellow who loves the job and he's told, I'm sorry, your contract is terminated. That's the, t- that's the quandary for Ruby because Ruby, in my view, should go out sort of nearly when he's as good as he was rather than if you regress 10% and then you're not as good as you were because he should always be remembered for, to, in my mind, the best national hunt jockey I've ever seen anyway. Um, you know, we're privileged to have Carberry, to see Carberry riding over a fence yeah. and putting a tricky horse to sleep. So I think Ruby's challenge when eventually he does retire would be like A.P. McCoy where he says, I'm going to go out at my right time to go out, kind of. Yeah, you know, McCoy doesn't seem like he's retired happily, though. He's well, like he was he, he was obsessed, like, so he's never going to really be uh, the same outside of the saddle. I even met Paul Carey at the HRI Awards, and you can see that the twinkle in his eye is half gone because he's, just, he's in that stage of life now where you have to get on with it. Yeah. yeah. And that mor- mortality and age will catch up with us all, like. Yeah, I, I hope I hope he gets as you say. I hope he gets out sound. That's the yeah, main thing. Yeah, sound. Whether he redresses or not, that's up to himself. I mean, to get out at the top because the likes of me or Johnny Ward or you think he should get out at the top. I thought Mick Canan. Uh, the last couple of years wasn't maybe riding as well as when I saw him riding early on, but yet he stuck it out to to, to see the stars. And you couldn't ask for a horse to get a better ride than he got in the um, the arc. You know, he wrote him, and then he said, that's enough yeah, now. Yeah. But, like, I mean, you've got everybody, they're grown men, they make their own decisions, not what we mm. decide on them, do you know what I mean? No, for sure. Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to at Leopardstown over Christmas? I am looking forward to, I'm looking forward to some great racing. I think it'll be, I think there's four or five races in particular that are going to be cracking races. Uh, there's a good novice chase there on the first day. I'm looking forward to a few of, of Willie's novices coming out and uh, Gardens as well. I'd like to see uh, that Delta work, the one that, I'd like to see him run over three miles. I think he's yeah. a hell of a horse. Uh, Gigli can or Megley can, can yeah. uh, and Willie's filly in the two mile. 
I think uh, the, what you call them is going to be a good uh, Savills race is going to be a good race. You have uh, Road to Respect, Road to Respect, and, respect and, and, yeah. and all them, and yeah. and the Jigginstown Philly. Yeah, uh, Shattered Love. Shattered yeah. Love. Do you know what I mean? And you have Bell's Hill, and then you have uh, um, Annie. What's her name again? The Good Mayor. Um, the one the fairy house and a um, yeah. Jigginstone mayor. Yeah, she's, she's uh, the mayor's hurdles favorite. Yeah, she, last yeah. She, her, her and you have Super Sunday, and you have Fahin take him another run. Uh, mm. Yeah, that could be a hell of a race. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was <laughs> only talking about her earlier. She's yeah. uh, her name is. Um, you can't think of her name. You're running. This is, this is bad. This is bad. Uh, going on thirty six. She's um, she she she's she's if if herself and Fahin like because I think Fahin. Fahin has only run once at three miles and he produced one of the best forms I've ever seen over three miles. Um, so if he could reproduce that. Now, I don't think it was a fluke of punches sound. So like Penhill came up, had every chance and he absolutely beat him 11 lengths. Um, so if she can... Apple Jade can. Um, Apple Jade, you got a good I, man. I'm not sure she's. I'm not sure she's up to that performance over three miles. We'll see. It'll be some race. It'll be Super some race. Sunday as well. Like she's as good as she was at fair. I haven't seen a better performance by a mayor other than Annie Power. Twenty last. Yeah. Have you won over the Christmas words? I have. I think uh, Kildare might run a novice handicap hurl there. He's about. He's twelve or fourteen pound lighter over hurls than he is over fences. Uh, he'd have a chance in the novice handicap, and I'm hoping uh, any second now runs a good race in the Paddy Power. Um, he's got it all. He gets the trip, Ted. I don't know. I think yeah. he will. I hope he will. If he gets the trip, he's very interesting. Yeah, I have a chance of uh, with yeah. eleven stone and that. But uh, he has another one of JP's to beat. The name escapes me. Yeah. It was very impressive the last day. Uh, like any second now, a lad has asked me for Christmas, and he's he'd been campaigned over two miles, and uh, he was a really good novice hurdler for for he won his maiden at a big price, and then he won as uh, was it Punchestown a Ferry yeah. House the next yeah. day, yeah. beat a good horse of Willie's. But if he stays the three miles, he's and Ted thinks he will. Like he has, he's definitely one of the the feasible horse in the race because he's a second season novice and um, he's, he's he's he could have a bit in hand in a race in which you wouldn't have much in hand. Okay, we'll keep an eye out for any second now. Ted, uh, it's uh, a life less ordinary. It's been brilliant um, getting back into yeah. some of the genealogy and, and kind of fully understanding exactly where it was. You've been so generous with your time, so thanks very much for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. And uh, have a great Christmas to you and the family and to you, Thank John. You. Thanks, sir. Hopefully we picked a winner for you this uh, week as well. A reminder that uh, Friday Night Racing is brought to you in association with GoRacing.ie. You should check out that website if it is your intention to go to any of the racing over the Christmas festival. All the details are available there. And we will uh, see you next week. Good luck. Have a great Christmas. Friday thanks. Night Racing. On Off The Ball. Brought to you by GoRacing. Plan your day at the races at goracing.ie